Welcome to Coming from Left Field, where we have conversations about politics, books, and current events with your host, Greg Gottles and Pat Cummings. Poets have long been the lyrical documentarians and commentators of our society, tackling critical issues in their verse. Though they write eloquently about love and the human condition, their pens also transform our train of thought and challenge the ways of being. Salman Rushdie stated that a poet's work is to name the unnameable, to point at frauds, to take sides, to start arguments, to shape the world, and stop it from going to sleep. Today, let's discuss this with a couple of poets. Okay, welcome. Welcome, Greg. And we have a couple of poets today. Welcome, uh, Janice and Kevin. And uh, today, we are going to try something uh, different. We're going to do a poetry reading with two great poets. And um, part of this came from um, discussing with our our poet friends and, and Greg and realizing that when the tyrants come, the people they kill first are poets and the novelists because they are, uh, they're, they're dangerous to the establishment. So with that in light, uh, let's, let, let me introduce our, our two poets. Uh, Janice O'Mahony is the co-author of this book here, which is the Woodby Island Reflections of People in the Land that she did with some friends in Woodby Island. If you know, much about Whidbey Island. It's a wonderful place with there's many artists and and poets and writers and uh, Janice found herself there. And just full disclosure, uh, Janice is also my sister. Mm. And I I know you're not supposed to have favorite sisters, but um, my favorite is Anne and the next is Janice. (laughs) So so anyway, uh, lives on Whidbey Island. And Kevin is my long dear friend who has been a poet for, oh my goodness, as long as I've known you, Kevin. And he's been, uh, received a lot of awards and grants for his poetry. Uh, He was a Fulbright teacher in uh, Denmark and taught in the public schools for, I don't know, almost 40 years, just under 40 years. Uh, He lives in Tacoma and he has a variety of books. Uh, The beginning in uh, 2014 with this book, the Light That Whispers Morning. Uh, we have another book, Everywhere Was Far, and I will link to these books down below. That was 2098. Uh, one of my favorite was the book he wrote uh, in Old Town about uh, kind of his living in coma, and uh, it's called Home and Away, Old Town Poems. That was 2008. And most recently is Vanish. And uh, Vanish is just a wonderful, wonderful collection. So we have real poets here. What do you think, Greg? I think that's great, but you know, I've got to challenge your opening statement, Pat. What's that? Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll throw it out. I'm skeptical um, that when tyrants uh, grasp power or anyone grasps power, the first people they come for are poets. Uh, I don't think that's historically ever been true, but I'll certainly have my ears open to hear Thanks. examples of when that has been the case. Poets, uh, in my mind, uh, are uh, are very important, and my favorite poets are political poets. Uh, Neruda, um, Bertolt Brecht, I think, is brilliant. 
but of course they fit into my politics. But Nauruda and Brecht, Jane Cortez in our era, they never led any political movements. And they were, they were in the case of Neruda, he was certainly uh, um, harmed by, by fascism in Chile, but he was a poet. Yeah. He was a poet. Well, here are the ground rules. I think what we're going to do is just go tit for tack, back and forth. We don't really care if the poems are political or not. They can be about anything. Uh, and we'll let you choose. We've kind of, we did a dry run and, and bounced back and forth. And it was really kind of a wonderful, wonderful afternoon when Janice and, and Kevin got together. So um, I'll tell you what, we'll have the, uh, we'll, Kevin, let's have you start. Why don't you start with, with, um, with the poem? Tell us what you're going to read and let's go. Okay, well, I'm going to start with a, um, a poem that's not in any of the books. Uh, you asked for some things about contemporary issues. And so, uh, and I'm going to choose to try to go with a way of trying to laugh rather than to cry, considering some of the uh, iterations of our COVID crisis. So this is kind of a COVID poem. So it's, it's topical. It's probably not political. Alive, so who's complaining? Golden hour shopping, not gold. It's a snowstorm of lingerers in the aisles, fingering tomato sauce and running against the arrows toward lentils. Failing is a brutal station on the way to oblivion. Nothing so sexy as an old man with black socks and legs as white as Eggland's best. This is the warning label they left off babies the little square tattoo on the fat thigh. Fine print says this chubby little fucker will, <laughs> with any luck, become a skinny hobbler, cataract enough to mistake a crosswalk for an album cover and deaf enough to mistake car honking for a Canadian wildlife film. Everything plays its part in this obstacle course, a dropped dime a plastic bag refuses to open. Mask fog turns the shopping list a blue-white. On a good day, you remember lucky strikes and whiskey, fantasies like casual sex. Later, you make it down two aisles without worrying about finding the car. You will make chirp in a distant row. Very nice. Maybe not that, political. Very funny. Very funny. We, we well, all, all the, it will be. Maybe I'll add a laugh track to that one when we uh, go to post production. That was, <laughs> you know, I, 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 again, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a bit of a, uh, I'm not a, I don't know a lot about poetry. I admit that in the beginning, but I would love to have that in front of me and read it, and then read it again, and read it again because it went almost too fast and it was so filled with imagery that uh, just kind of hit me. Uh, yeah. Again, I, I don't see much. I see some politics to it in terms of a, it doesn't strike me as the sentiments that a, uh, a person that's engaged in Trump's politics on the very far right would feel. I would <laughs> deny them those feelings, but I'd love to have that in front of me and, 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 and really study the play of words. I thought that was just really great. I can see why so many of your students uh, have learned from you. Right. Thanks. 
Well, I know you would like that one too, Greg. You've been sick for the last week or two. So that uh, kind of- Well, it reminded me how friggin' old I am. I know. And how I go age. down those aisles and, and how white my legs are. That's the one thing that really rang a bell for me. My God, I got to get some sun on me. <laughs> Good. Janice, what do you have? Well, I'm going to start out with a kind of an uh, angry poem that is political. Um, and I, just to Greg's point, I think it's a, a, a thing that poets talk about a lot with each other is this issue of accessibility and how people who are not into poetry can actually access it, hear it, read it, see it. Um, and there is a little bit of aspersion cast on poets that are overly accessible that I think they're trivial, they're regarded as more trivial, but actually a goal for me as a poet is to be completely accessible. I love it when people who say, I just don't get poetry, here's a poem, here, that person hears a poem and goes, oh, right, I got it. <laughs> so let's see if this works. This poem is called Just Wondering. Looks like you're making stew today, said the grocery clerk. Good day for it. I said, yes, it is. Wondering what yard sign she had up and what she teaches her kids about gays. Did she vote against sex ed? Did she vote at all? Does she even know any black people? I'll take your cart back for you, he said in the parking lot. Thanks, I said. Do you think I shouldn't have the vote, I thought? Do you agree with your buddies Hillary was a bitch and women can't handle the pressure? Do you think if I die from pregnancy, it's the price I pay? Driving home, I see the flag flying on a truck. I wonder for whom it flies. Is it only for white Christian men or is it big enough for immigrant children and kneeling quarterbacks? When people say Black Lives Matter, does that driver sneer? No bumper sticker reveals his views. Leery, I look away. In this little town, we nod and smile. We take turns in lines. We chat about the weather and the Seahawks while neighbors pray and pray among us. Mangle science, stamp out compassion and destroy our earth. Make the libtards cry, they whisper. Boo-hoo, tree huggers. Other nations have erupted in pogroms and work camps. I didn't think ours could, but now I think not if, but when. Which of these pe people would kill me for my beliefs? Who wants me silenced? Who is my friend? Who will fight by my side? And how can we win? There you go, Greg. That's your political one right there, my friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it reflects a point of view, a political point of view. Uh, it reflects uh, emotions involved in that. Um, and it does reflect some anger. And I, I think that's a good thing. That's, that's something we, a poet can really convey better than perhaps other people can. Again, I'd like to see it in front of me. I'm, 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 I'm the kind of person, frankly, that I don't, I don't listen to podcasts, even ours, because I like to see copy in front of me. But what poets bring when they read their poetry that I can't bring is the rhythms. And then I appreciate both of you doing that because it actually shows me things I, like, I could miss very easily because I didn't hear the anger or I didn't hear the rhythms. 
that were there. So I appreciate it. I, I, I think this would be a great opener for a political discussion. That, yeah. In that sense, it's political. Yeah. And that's the sense in which when I was younger, as I mentioned earlier, before we started, you know, I wrote about rock and roll and jazz and mainly cultural things. Then I put a lot of weight into what, what celebrity rock and roll performers, the Dillons and so on could, could do. And as I got more older and more mature, I realized that was misplaced. They really don't have that great of a political impact. What they did do in the moments was they raised questions. Yeah. They, they did stimulate people to, to begin to think. Unfortunately, that's as far as it goes. And five years later, people were back into a whole different mood and mode and so on. So that's why I'm skeptical about poetry as politics, but it, it certainly is a firelighter. And that was a firelighting poem, I thought. It, you know, what I like about that is I have this constant tension but when I look at these people that I'm so angry with, um, you know, the, and you, you want to just categorize them as deplorables and be gone with it. And then yet you realize how did they get there and why are they like that? And what, you know, that you have this, this compassion for the, what brought them to that particular place. And uh, I like that line, you know, would they kill me? You know, because I don't know if you know what's going on right now on Woodby Island, but they, um, uh, that group of kind of the patriots and the three percenters are taking over the Grange. And there's a lot of this in your face tension you know, like you said, you know, with the trying to to trigger all the liberals, and uh, I thought that did a nice job capturing that. That was great, Janice. Good. I like the the pray pray. Are are those uh, a wise and e wise? Because that's the whole thing for me is this whole the way you when we're in mixed political company, uh, more and more I feel like pray rather than, you know. P-R-E-Y rather than P-R-E-Y. So I really like that too. That just gets the dichotomy going there. Thank you. Anyway, great. Uh, Kevin, what do you have that can top that? Well, I can't top it, but I will tie a little segue. I'll use the word pogrom. Um, when I look back over my poems and we, I knew the topic was politics and I, and you know, you can't force, I don't think you can force it. So I looked at a theme that I think I've come back to again and again, and it's, I, I would hope it's about decency and, and the compassionate treatment of others. And one recurring theme is about the treatment in our society of women. Um, so um, in 1989, this event happened in Whatcom County. A young woman was murdered along the river and um, the Northwest has a terrible, uh, reputation of women disappearing near rivers uh, or being disappeared, as it were. Uh, this is a year before I moved to Denmark, which was the safest, most comfortable place for women to be alone uh, on their own. My daughter was a ninth grader and my wife was independent, and able to go anywhere. So a lot of that is in the background of this poem, but I carried this death of this girl with me, did not know her, knew her name. Uh, and uh, try to write a, a general poem, but the specifics really do relate to this woman's uh, disappearance. Uh, and as I told Pat and Janice the other day, uh, 30 years later, they solved the, the murder uh, just uh, six months ago or a little more uh, because of DNA. Mm -hmm. So the word that connects with Janice's poem 
is pogroms. And this is titled, After Pogroms Ending in Rivers. A boy holds his sister's gloves. They are gloves, she said, not mittens. See the fingers? He plays games with them, waves to her, makes this wool hand hitch a ride, point to mom. The boy curls the index finger and beckons, come here, come here. The brother sees fear in his mother's eyes. Where's your sister? He holds these gloves and directs his sisters with the shape of her own hands. Morning breaks cold near the river, which runs like a green satin ribbon, shiny side, flat side, cutting the lush fields. This river returns his sister, but his sister never returns. He walks the South Fork and watches water kiss the bulkhead where the river bends behind the abandoned gas station. Most days the water will lap and curl as exact as a picture of the moment before. He watches two large rocks near the far bank, equal parts green, white, gray, split and reform green. Water on rocks taps in his ear and he breathes the sound, stores enough for sleep. In his sleep, his sister is always the same, going away, the elbow bent, her bare hands stiff as a doll's, her wave a mocking parade pass. She jogs and disappears as she rounds the bend. He stands holding her gloves. In his sleep, he knows he is no longer that boy. Each spring when the runoff covers the rocks, he knows their shape in the river. Well, that was a gut punch. Yeah. Uh, a, a, a poem of trauma. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, 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 the image of the brother seeing her with these sort of cartoon, you know, in, a, in the same awkward way of not being real in a way is, 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 is a good way to portray that, uh, you know, that, that sleep trauma. Good. Well, speaking of trauma, I'll, I'll, I'll riff off that and um, I will do a poem about uh, the time I was doing intake um, work for veterans for PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. This is called Intake at the Veterans Center. They come because their dads begged them or their wives, they lean back in the chair nearest the door, faking their most casual posture. How American men sit, taking all the space they want, a little breathing room. It's just a chat, no big deal. What's the first question? Get people off their backs. How long is this gonna take? But casual doesn't work. Jumpy, trying to be cool, check phone, twirl ring, jiggle legs. Composure is a memory, but fake it for this lady. Don't want to scare her. She's nice, like that teacher 
try to look her in the eye. These boys shed dead-end jobs to be somebody, get in shape, save for school, get squared away, leave druggy pals and unfaithful girls. They signed up for it so they can't complain. Lots of guys are worse off. Sleeping is the worst, how much they miss it. Driving is hard. Tailgaters make them murderous. They sweat bags of garbage along the road, a child running up, a dark-faced clerk at the 7-Eleven. They don't want to think about what they saw. They don't want to talk about what they did. They used to have plans. They used to have fun. Now they barely hold on, hate what they can't forget, demand how it happened, and when will it end? I like that. I like that a lot. I thank both of you because I'm learning and that's, that's what, it, what, what I should be doing. Um, Kevin's poem just sucks the emotion out of you. It takes something that you might see in a newspaper in passing and say, oh, that's tragic. But then when you, when you, he makes you kind of live it. And that it's the kind of thing that makes me not want to watch some movies today because I know it's going to engage me emotionally. And I don't want to be engaged that emotionally, but that's what, but I like this, uh, uh, Janice, I like this better than your earlier poem. Your earlier poem I thought, poem I thought was uh, tainted a little bit by your own anger. This was an observation I thought that was so keen about people, about people in America. And, and it didn't tell you, it didn't have the uh, uh, pretense to tell you what to think about it. It just threw out observations that made you think about it and try to put them together in a way that might make some sense. So I really appreciated that. I, uh, both of these remind me of one of my favorite political poems and I, I wish I had it handy. If I were prepared, I'd have it here because I love this poem. It's by Bertolt Brecht and it's called The Infanticide of Maria Farrar. And it's the most powerful uh, poem, uh, any vehicle of any kind I've ever heard to explain why people abort, why women abort. And it's just really powerful. I urge you to try to find it as a refrain uh, because this, it's about a young woman who uh, has no means and she's pregnant and she ends up aborting herself uh, on a bathroom floor. And it, the refrain is, if I remember, it's um, you, I beg you, check your wrath and scorn for people need help from every creature born. Uh, but I urge you to look it up. Uh, you know, I think uh, you, you'll, be, you'll be surprised. It's a very powerful poem. Maybe, maybe Pat, you could put it on your um, uh, links. I like it. It's the infanticide you know of Maria Farrar because she goes to jail. You see, at oh, the end, at the end, she goes to jail for the rest of her life for infanticide. Yeah. But it really explains the way you are giving uh, emotion to things that may seem commonplace, but it, it just really gives an emotion to it. You know, what I like about that, Janice, too, is you take for granted who, who fights, who goes to Afghanistan, who it's hillbilly elegy. You know, it's these people who they don't have that many options. And, um, and they're the ones that, you know, then are, are suffering from, from that. And, um, and they think they don't deserve help because they ask for it. 
Right. And right. most of the American public say, well, they signed up for it. Similar to when cops are shot, they go, well, you know, that's part of the job. Yeah. So. Yeah. Wonderful, Janice. That's great. All right, Kevin, what, uh, what, what say you now? Uh, let's say now I'm going to go back to this poem about dogfish. Um, the idea of understanding, I, you know, I, cert, I, I have such a hard time fathoming other perspectives uh, politically right now. Um, I, you know, it's just, I don't get it. And it's, it's, it, there's a line in here about making choices. What makes, um, what makes somebody say never, not if it feels like this and somebody else say now they get theirs. And I, I sort of feel this way over and over again is, is like a rewriting of history, this whole undine, unending uh, political game that's going on. But this was from the, the time period. Uh, this is from everywhere was far. And this is when the, the, the Serb, uh, the, the war in Croatia, Serbo-Croatian war, it broke out while I was in uh, Denmark in, in one iteration in 1990. And I was, we were in fact, we were gonna take a vacation in spring and we were gonna go either to uh, the Yugoslavia area or we were gonna go to France. And obviously the war broke out and we were unable, we, we chose differently. But anyway, this, for me to find, uh, the way I get to politics if I do is probably from an angle. So this is a poem that comes in from an angle to Emily Dickinson, the classic, tell all the, tell the truth from the slant or tell all truth slant. So the, my way in is through something horrible we used to do as kids, which was torture dogfish. So uh, another name for a dogfish is uh, sometimes around here is a mud shark. Uh, they look just, they're, they look just like, they're, here we call them dogfish, but they look like sharks, but they're small. The United States dogfish. A dogfish rots on the hot concrete bridge. I think kids, we did that. We tortured dogfish. How long before those sins return? How long before we pay for the cruelties of the neighborhood? The times we ditched Mike Bell going home circling to meet one kid cut from the pack. How soon will pools of wickedness return to leave us lying on some street to stink in the afternoon sun? If we are to be the next dogfish, Radovan Karadish soon will lie naked in the center of Sarajevo. The weary faces of the raped will pass before him, howling like sirens munch heard. Their faces will contort in a slump of flesh. An act stays like a cigarette burn in the arm, holds its dark center as if the edges stopped in a tiny red pond on a forearm we carry everywhere. Some arms have no scars. Children kept close by mother's voices, children who left birds alone. What grace stopped some. What makes one kid turn to say, never, not if it feels like this, and another say, now they get theirs. Some kids become men who spit the name, not shark, not fish. A name makes this right, say Serb, Muslim, 
croat. Dogfish rots in this sun. No flesh tougher than the heel of a barefoot boy bakes in the road. It may surface someday, a small red dot in a young man's mind, a dot he must live with, like the small kiss of the entry wound when the neighbor kid becomes dogfish. No kid started this. What men should we haul into our squares when a pair of sneakers, a wanted jacket, crossfire turns kid to dogfish? Guns don't kill people. They turn them into dogfish. We see no dogfish on entertainment tonight. Dogfish don't hold the ratings. Dogfish smell after time. Tough flesh rots bitterly and the scars and stripes have jumbled all the colors, blue stripes and red circles for stars. We fill up with lead. We go down for more than the third time. Nothing sinks the stinking dogfish. It has no eyes. White cups fill with rainwater. Those who look are the eyes of the dogfish. Sort of, I feel like those poor people trying to survive in Gaza right now. I, it's just unbelievable. Anyway. Well, very sen uh, sensory poem. The the smells and the tough meat and the sun, the sun and the rotting. It's very, uh, very. The imagery is beautiful. And it reminds me a little bit of that book I read about the um, the policemen in the Second World War that were the Nazis, the brothers that were that that went on to do just horrible, horrible things. And yet they were such ordinary people. I think it was Ordinary Brothers is the book's right. name. You know, what is it? What is it that the, you know, symbolic, this just this, this violence that is apparent in all of a, a youth's id, especially little boys, can, can escalate to such horrible things. And you're, you're right. We're seeing it right now, aren't we? In Gaza. No. You gotta, you gotta remember your Catholic catechism and study original sin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a great metaphor. Yeah, yeah, it is. Oh boy. Well, how about one that rhymes? Come on. <laughs> I can read a short one uh, right. that is political. Um, so in 1986, I made a trip to Selma, Alabama, about. It would have been about 20 years after the events on that bridge, that bloody day. So this poem is called Selma, 1986. He was compact, remote, very dark. His straight back did not touch the chair, uniform shirt stiff with posture and starch. Polished leather glinted and creaked. Police radio crackled on the table. Alabama state trooper hat placed just so. I'd come to walk the Edmund Pettus Bridge to honor its power and glory. But first, breakfast and newspaper, my chance to watch townspeople, guess who had been bad or worse, see if they looked guilty as they should. The freckled waitress brought him coffee, no cream, 
Farmer tanned locals glanced over, nodded, leaving him to his paperwork. Just a black guy grabbing breakfast on the job, Sunday morning at that diner, I saw the truth was marching on. Good, good. That great last line. Yeah, good, good. Oh my! When neither of you, I, I, I should have. I, I, I. Uh, this, this is a, a an emotional, <laughs> an emotional podcast. But that's what we asked for, didn't we? We wanted to, we wanted to show the power of how 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 a, a poem can pick you up and slap you around a little bit and um, put ammonia underneath your nose and and so this is what we asked for, right, Greg? Yeah, and I'm curious, uh, when either of you are looking for that in poets, well-known poets, celebrity poets or whatever, who, who do you turn to? I mean, who, uh, sometimes you, your mood may dictate you want something that's morose and, and kind of captures the ugliness of things today. And sometimes you may want to find someone that has deep insights. Who are some of your favorite poets for, for our audience to maybe explore? And why? And more importantly, why? Uh, I'll, I'll throw out a name um, because it, it reminded me of your mention, Greg, of the poem from Brecht. Um, a woman who was my teacher uh, in Dublin, uh, Paula Meehan, who, was, um, who held the, the same chair at the university there that Heaney held for a while. She is a woman who I read and um, I go to quite often. And I just saw her on a podcast the other day. She has a poem that reminded me of the one you did that, that is a sort of a memorial poem to a young woman uh, in Dublin who was uh, found dead at, at her own hand and her unborn child is there with her. And it's a it's a pretty famous poem. And I, and I don't have the title of it, but you mentioning that is it but but Paula is someone I go to she's a woman who uh, stayed and in Dublin with her people worked in the prisons worked in teaching poets uh, poetry in the prisons and and is really a, a person of the people uh, grew up in a you know a real common working class neighborhood a tough neighborhood she's a she's a just a brilliant survivor and, and her, the music of her language is incredible. So she would be my first thought, Paula Meehan. Uh, also the, uh, the poet Ivan Boland, who just died, uh, another Irish poet that I enjoyed immensely. Uh, those, those are people I, I go to. Heaney, uh, Seamus Heaney. Uh, again, po poems of the uh, sort of the earth uh, mm -hmm. and the people for me. Janice, any thoughts? Uh, well, all, you know, it's so funny, Greg, all I can think about are famous poets that I don't like. <laughs> and, um, and uh, you know, since I, I kind of don't want to badmouth anyone, but uh, there are those who are, are continually quoted that annoy me because they're real bossy. Um, you know, they're sort of saying, I've got the truth and here it is and here's what to do. And I just resist that. So I think I'll just pass on that question. But 
I do, um, I do have a poem about um, writing poetry and how hard it is. And it alludes to some of the feelings that I just described. So I can either read it now or we can, we can just go on, but- um, Read it now, read it now, read it now. Okay. Speaking of beautiful poetry and that this stuff is not easy. <laughs> and it's called, I Got Nothing. <laughs> poetry is hard right now. It's been that way for a while. I don't like lines telling me to look up at the night sky or I once walked out into the woods. It's annoying. I know I will learn soon those woods are mysterious or metaphoric and the poet most likely will be lost there for a while. To hear, oh, to be a pick one, wave or bird or distant star is to want to bolt out of there and find the people who confess I just don't get poetry, and then go together to get some coffee. We would have to keep alert to avoid wild geese calling, worms busy in loamy graveyard soil, the urgent call of ancestors, tragic loss and nostalgia. My fellow poets, you're not alone. I'm not singling you out. I'm the worst, I got nothing. Maybe write about my mother's death again, or do something for a friend's birthday dinner. He will cry, but I'll know it's trite and belongs inside a Hallmark card, that his tears are for the public attention and my good intention saying his life is worthy of what I say is a poem. It's autumn. Maybe something about leaves blowing in the chilly wind, one still hanging on the tree, unwilling to let go, remembering the sun, fighting against death, resisting the circle of life, not ready yet to be compost for spring violets or summer zucchini, but finally accepting its leafy fate, knowing it lives in a bountiful universe and its promised rebirth. Today, I write stiffly like a blank slate would walk if it had legs, a simile that does not work. I can do those all day looking for anything worth a word or two, thinking what could improve on silence. Chop wood, carry water was the monk's answer to why we're here. So I'll do some chores. I'll try to accept my last poem has been written. Call it a day. From morning, the gentle fingers of dawn come creeping, to night, when the fiery orb of sun plunges into the sea. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> Kevin, that one hit a nerve with you because you've been there, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I, that whole line about what can be better than silence is the ultimate <laughs> challenge. It kind of wants you to make you shut up forever. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I don't have anything better than that. But uh, I don't yeah. have anything. What was the title of that, Janice? I got nothing. I got nothing. Yeah. Got nothing. Well, that's a great. So there's Yeah. There is the a poem within a poem. So that was <laughs> Oh, that uh, that that's good, Janice. I, I like that one. Pat, I want to close um, when you're ready to close. I've got one that you haven't heard about our mother. 
Oh, uh, that's not angry and not political, but I want you to hear it. And that'll be my last one. Okay. All right. You tell me, you tell me, uh, tell us both when you're kind of I, thinking. Well, let's do a couple more. Let's do two, two more. I, I could be, uh, you know, selfishly, I could be here um, all day, but um, let's <laughs> we'll try to keep the podcast in our hour, our normal hour range. Okay. Um, uh, tell me, what do you, what's, what's next, Kevin? What do you think? Um, I'm going to do this one. Uh, I, I've never, I'll do this one. It's called Consider Religion, which is, you know, so problematic in both. I don't, anyway, so Consider Religion. Most everybody's got one or a version, say jazz, dogs, Jesus, city chickens, organic poems, organic food, list poems. Some people have multiples interconnected chasms they keep like closed minds and we mistake caution tape for something simple a swarm of yellow jackets we think smoke will tame still when you hear go figure no this is not about math in our neighborhood each new kid lost his allowance taking the belly button bet steve bow's brothers hauled him out like a cash machine his simple scar underscored the notion, nothing is certain. When you ask your partner what's wrong and they say nothing, think God, belly buttons. Think I stepped in something sacred and this is the shaft. That that, uh, we had a kid in our neighborhood who didn't have a belly button. I mean, that's just real. A kid, he didn't have a belly button, you know, and so his older brother would haul him around and say, you know, I, you know, and he'd say, you ever seen a kid without a belly button? No, no, no. <laughs> well, then he'd get a, you know, put a wager on it, and then he'd haul out his little brother and lift up his shirt. <laughs> so, you know. But anyway, there's that nothing is sacred kind of thing I was thinking about. Yeah. yeah. Religion is. Yeah, you've uh, fallen. You've fallen far. That's for sure. <laughs> Janice, let's say you. Do you want a uh, an angry one or kind of a um, a nicer one? I like angry. I like All right. Angry. So there's an epigraph on this poem. I read this in the newspaper, and the, this was the inspiration. The Bahraini government has released a Shia Muslim poet who was sentenced last month to one year in prison for reciting a poem critical of the country's ruling family. She remains under house arrest. This is called the poem that led to my arrest. I am not sorry, I have no regrets. I'll turn myself in without lawyering up. No low contendery, no warrant required. Suspend your search and seizure rules. You won't hear a peep. I'll stand in your lineup all by myself. Hand my cell phone over without a complaint. Hold my wrists out nicely so you can snap on the cuffs. Already practicing good behavior for my time in the joint. My statement. I smuggle Mexicans up to find work. I send money to outlaw priests in Peru. I shelter banned Muslims in my basement. I've talked frequently 
about would I have killed Hitler if I'd had the chance? And the concept is intriguing. Descriptions of afterlife don't ring true, particularly hell, so why not? I encourage dissent, I act up, I spray paint on private property. I will chain myself to a polluting factory next week. I've bought the chains and the unbreakable bicycle lock, looked at videos on YouTube, how to go limp at a rest, how to use Maalox and water to rinse away tear gas. Treason talk doesn't phase me, so you can save that for someone else. Believe me, this is real. I'm not a copycat or a nutcase. If you let me do it, if you let me go, I'll do it again and more. Include, enclosed is a selfie with today's newspaper, and this poem is printed for your convenience. Very timely. I like your angry. I Very like timely. I think. Uh, but it reminds me that so much poetry is poetry of the personal and the, the involvement of the I, which you know persists all through that. But what I liked about this is that it was almost a recipe. I mean, recipe is maybe the wrong word, but a kind of a, uh, it met all the things that you hear in response to personal action. It's a very Catholic thing to, to, it's a sort of martyrdom thing to have I as the political object. object. Uh, but in this case, it's saying, you know, look, I've heard all the objections to what I'm doing. I'm not begging you. I, I don't have faults or flaws that lead me to do these things. They're considered judgments. I'm doing them. Here I am. Snap the handcuffs on. Let's cut all the crap out. I like that about that poem. Good. Reminded right. me of your friends who've written so many books about uh, Central America and liberation philosophy and all the, you know, um, goings on down there where people uh, ob ob object with full eyes, you know, with, you know, full conscience. But it's back, it's back pat to what you said at the very beginning, which is that poets are dangerous and the Bahraini government certainly knew that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, you know, again, and, and I, I'm taking the opposite position. I, I, I argue strongly that it isn't the poets they come after in the beginning. It's the trade unionists. It's the opposition, the people that have social movements that are behind social movements, whether they be socialists, communists, whatever they are, those are the people they come to. Come to. And it's a popular thing, New York Review types and New Republic types to say the poets are threatening. But again, I challenge you to show me where they have really challenged, I mean, in the sense that brought any political change forward. Uh, they express it, they give some life to it, they entertain it. I mean, just as rock musicians do uh, when the left is alive and, and, and moving forward. But I never, I've never seen them, they, they're not the political objective of J. Edgar Hoover. He's never, as far as I know, he's never really put the poets ahead of the communists, never put them ahead of the black radicals, never put the poets ahead of anyone else. But uh, I don't mean that to demean poetry because poetry is essential just as rock is and music is to any political movement. It gives it a spirit, uh, something beyond. But what about, what about Dylan? I mean, I, I, he, he picked me up and moved me in a way that uh, was 
through his poetry, you know, I mean, you could call it music, but it was more poetry. And how about those, how about those concerts where everybody is lip syncing the exact same word, word together in a stadium of 50,000 people identifying with the, this kind of um, unified oneness that that one person was able to do with their lyrics. Maybe I mean, it's I, because maybe it's because I'm a veteran of Woodstock. I'm an East Coaster. You guys are all West Coasters, but as a veteran of Woodstock, I kind of lost my virginity. I mean, I thought it was the greatest event that ever occurred. It was a million people coming together. We didn't need police, and yada yada. yada. Well, did you go to Woodstock? Did you go to Woodstock, Greg? Did I go? Yeah, I was there. Yeah, I was there. I was one of the foolish people that actually bought a ticket. <laughs> it, was the, it was the bad acid now it's all making sense okay yeah, now you understand now i understand yeah it was How that, about, young girl uh, I met. that young girl i met that you know influenced the the direction i went in but no i think an experience like that you know you see it and it's all about music and it is all about music and you come later to understand that it wasn't going to stop the bombing of uh of cambodia yeah. it wasn't going to stop uh nixon's assault i mean that's a different, these are all components of a political life, but it's not the chief component of a political life. It has to be something more. I think about Father uh, Bixel from uh, Bill Bixel down here in Tacoma, who spent uh, a couple years in jail for going over the fence at the University of Americas. I mean, that, and that, you know, the government, yeah. the government was afraid of him. Uh, the government went after him, uh, you know, more more than in any poet. So he certainly raised that, you know, right. there were some people doing the work. Um, Kevin, we have our, in Pittsburgh, we have Molly Rush, who was one of the uh, plowshare uh, mm. group, and she's a, a venerated uh, person. And they set an example, an exemplary example of an individual sacrifice, someone willing to do that, inspire people. But again, I think movements need more organizational structure, more ideology than just that. Because we've seen in our lifetimes, from SDS through mm -hmm. the rock and roll through uh, McGovern, all this that uh, take the more recently the uh, uh, what's it called the um, the group uh, um, the group that was started in New York and with all the hand signals and all that stuff and the kind of anarchist stuff. It, it fades because it doesn't have Occupy to, Wall Street. Occupy, Occupy movement faded. It uh, yeah. again, it was uh, emotionally uh, sophisticated. It coined the term the the ninety nine percent, the one percent, and so on. But it didn't have an organizational structure that could take you anywhere, and it yeah. didn't. Yeah. I don't. Um, I I just uh, just want to say I don't think any of us are saying that poets are the organization or what needs to happen. I think what poets do is give people language. Um, they write the union songs uh, that people sing. Uh, they clarify things for people. And I do think maybe not in this country, uh, maybe J. Edgar Hoover had a different point of view, but I do really think we can find places in other countries, um, i.e. the British who um, rounded up Irish harpists who were singing the stories and cut off their thumbs um, there's been actually active sanctions against poets because of their power. So yeah. I, you should do Pat. You should do a podcast on union songs. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, we just lost one of the uh, one of the best. Uh, Anne Feeney passed away. Uh, oh yeah, I read about months that. ago. 
Ann Feeney was a Pittsburgh native, but she was internationally known for her labor, labor songs or union songs or songs of solidarity. And of course, in the Chilean experience, you know, they're about to, to initiate a new constitution and I'm very excited about it. But uh, during the uh, Allende era, that's the way to look at poets and musicians as a kind of soundtrack. When you have good leftist poets and good leftist musicians, they're the soundtrack for a movement, but the movement is itself something different. Kevin, take us out with one. Uh, well, I'll just go really short. I'm going to go with Vanish because I think it's um, just sort of like everybody trying to make their little mark. Vanish whispers its swish of sound as a trail of breath follows an image you hold like the title of the film you saw two nights ago, no longer on the tip of anything, no aftertaste, no crumbs to help find your way back to a place you forgot being. This little tremor of fear when the ripples left by the stone fail to reach the edge and the pond is a space as dark as swallows. You remember returning to the nook above the door in the garage behind the house you find only in your sleep. Very nice, very nice. We're all getting older. We're vanishing. <laughs> vanishing, yes, sir. I know. Yeah, it's the it's the it's the the end, but <laughs> it's almost the end. Almost, almost the end. end. That was wonderful. That was wonderful. And that kind of captures the theme of your of the book vanishing, you know, of just the aging and yeah, family just, and changing relationships and how they're all drift drifting away. Wonderful, Kevin. Well, thank you. And thank uh, you, Greg and Janice. It's so nice to hear your well, work. Let's have Janice do one last one yeah. and then and then we'll we'll uh, great. We'll put it in the can. Okay, this, uh, uh, Kevin, this really does amazingly kind of flow for me from what you just read. And Pat, this is about our mother. It's called Our Place. If Einstein is right, if time is a carousel, I want to be with my mother in her last days as she floated in shimmering space, separating yesterday, today, and tomorrow. She said she wants us to open a little cafe. She said I should cook because I'm good at that. She will take care of everything else. Cash only, men will remove their hats inside. <laughs> I want to ask her about our little place. What would we serve? How should it look? Would we be famous for all day breakfasts or great cinnamon rolls? Maybe pot roast. She made the curtains and turned on the sign. What did we name it? She knew, but I didn't ask. I didn't think it was real. I cook and she runs the place. Uh, <laughs> wonderful, Janice. You're gonna make me cry. I know, I love it when I make you cry, you big uh, tough hombre. I'm gonna have to- Got a picture of your mother's. I'm gonna have to mother. sit with my feet spread out and twirl my ring, so. <laughs> Jiggle your legs. Jiggle my legs. That was beautiful. Hey, this was a this was fun. Let's do this every Tuesday. <laughs> what do you think? 
this is this is much better than I thought it would be. This was just great. This was um. I, I agree. I, I just can't like, tell you know, how I, like I. I don't know if you listened to Sam Harris, but um, he just recently did his. Uh, he's has one of the most popular podcasts on um, on the on on the web. Uh, waking up, and his last one was with uh, the poet David White and uh, exploring and um in his books uh, consolation and solace um and i feel like that um i had the idea first and then he did his <laughs> podcast so yeah well, i think we can yeah, but we got better poets we i, I think <laughs> we, we got a couple better poets hey you two i just can't tell you how much i appreciate this this is so much fun greg thanks for sticking with us next time we'll have them We'll have the transcript to you ahead of time. So, you know, <laughs> you can process the, the words a little better, but uh, this was really fun. I really enjoyed all of the, all of the comments too. So that was great. Really great. Kevin, thank, thank you. Both of you. Thank I you. Love your work, Thanks very Kevin. much. Let's call it quits. Bye now. Bye. Bye-bye.